I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Thorough Talk. Of course, I'm Thorough Bailey, and uh, we have a very exciting guest on today. And this is a, I'm going to call a young lady because I'm, because she is a young lady and I'm very old. I, you called me old this morning, didn't you, Josh? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. All right. I just want to make sure. Maybe I felt old walking in. But we've got the great Natalie Williams on today. And let me give you a, a little bit of information about her. Here's a young lady with just some amazing accolades. Two-time All-WNBA First Team, four-time WNBA All-Star, two-time All-ABA First Team, also an ABL ABL, uh, MVP. In 1999, she was selected in the first round, third overall pick by the Utah Stars. And she ended up... uh, playing locally here in Utah. I got to watch her play. And, and let me tell you something. I have admired this young lady for years, and I'm, we're so grateful to have her on the show. Natalie Williams, welcome to Thorough Talk. <laughs> Thorough, thank you so much. It's great to be here. I appreciate that. It was super nice. Hey, seriously, um, I don't even think you know how big a fan I am. Uh, you know, every time I see you, I want to give you a big old hug uh, just because I followed you for a long time, not just your your uh, playing career and 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 your college career because we're going to talk about that in a second but just the way you've represented yourself and the way that you've used your platform to help uh, in particular to help other young women reach their goals and dreams and we'll get into that as well but right now I you know I'm on this show it's about the journey you know it's about uh the folks we talked to taking us back, you know, in a little time machine and talking to us about how it started for them. I mean, how I know you had a love for the game and not just basketball, but um, talk to me about growing up and, and how you got this passion to do what you did. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, you know, not starting basketball until seventh grade which is crazy these days. (laughs) You know, I I look at my own uh, children. I have a a daughter that just finished seventh grade, and um, she is so much better than I was at this (laughs) age. Um, (laughs) So, you know, young girls and and young athletes are just really um, perfecting their craft so much earlier. 
And so it's just so fun to be able to work with them. I mean, for me, I was lucky enough to have a junior high team. I, you know, I went to Eisenhower Junior High. And so the opportunity to learn to play basketball and, um, you know, it's just crazy that <laughs> I didn't start till seventh grade. And, you know, being six feet tall, I didn't really jump that much at that point because I was so much taller than everybody. Right. So I didn't even need to. Um, but it's just crazy how much I loved the game and really wanted to learn and, and uh, as much as I could and thrived off of uh, the constant, you know, what can I learn from my coaches? What can I learn from going to camps out of state? You know, I remember going to the University of Utah camp and getting to learn from Elaine Elliott. Um, so just those amazing opportunities and coaches that were surrounding me uh, really helped in my growth. Now, it's it's so crazy because a lot of us athletes have a similar journey. Um, I was cut in junior high school twice. I was cut in the in the seventh and eighth grade, Natalie, and I was wow. I was six I was six four in the seventh grade, and I was six seven in the eighth grade. So the coach cut me, told me not to come back. And uh, my the the next year, he got a, a job at a different school. Another coach came in, and and you know the reality was, Natalie, I wasn't very good, right? And so. Um, I decided to walk into that gym and and try out again for the team. And this coach kept me because he saw something in me. Did you have coaches like that um, in particular that that had an eye for what you could be? Uh, Most definitely. Um, You know, I chose, most people don't know, I chose to go to college on a volleyball scholarship. And uh, that was really due to uh, a great, volleyball coach that I had. She was actually at the University of Utah for a while before she became my high school coach. Her name is Jean Whittison. Mm -hmm. And she pushed me so hard to be the best and excel above, you know, just playing down to the level of everyone around me in the fact that I was such a talented athlete in volleyball. Um, She wouldn't let me slide in any way. And you know, she said that in volleyball, you know, in basketball, I'd be a great player because I was actually more well-known in basketball through high school, um, you know, among college coaches. And in volleyball, she said, you could be one of the best. And so I really took that to heart. I, you know, admired her and looked up to her for her knowledge. And volleyball to me was a game of least errors. And I really was a perfectionist when it came to that. And so I took that on. And, um, you know, it's funny because I look back at her remembering her saying that to me, and it's like I just remember thinking, gosh, you know, she said in volleyball I could be the best, but little did she know I could be the best at both. So, <laughs> Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> kind of funny looking back. <laughs> you were great at both, and like you said, if people don't know that, you were the first woman to earn All-American honors in both basketball and volleyball at UCLA in the same year. I mean that's yeah. quite an accomplishment, and um, and you were voted in nineteen ninety two and ninety three the nation's best collegiate volleyball player. I mean, I mean that's tremendous. And and knowing what I know now about you, especially basketball, because I I admit I never saw you play volleyball because I didn't get a volleyball player until later. My daughter Brielle um, earned a volleyball scholarship. She was a swimmer at first, and then she ended up. Uh, changing sports because the chlorine messed her hair up when she got older. So um, <laughs> she decided to play volleyball, and 
and just thrived from there. I went to Arizona State to do that. But um, what made you choose? Did you, at some point, you had. I mean, you could have gone professionally in volleyball, right? You could have played overseas. What made you choose basketball? The crazy story that I had was, you know, after college, I went down to train with the 90s. You know, I went to try to make the 96 Olympic team. And at that time, the USA volleyball team was training in uh, San Diego at Balboa Park. Um, and I was with them for a little over a year and a half. We, I mean, it was a great experience. I mean, we practiced five days a week, four hours a day. I mean, it was tough work, and I would just, you know, go home and rest after that. I mean, those kind of trainings yeah. <laughs> where you don't do anything else throughout <laughs> the day because you're so tired. But um, I was fortunate to go to Japan three times uh, with the USA volleyball team, play on the world university games, uh, which was an amazing experience. But unfortunately, I was the last cut for the 96 Olympic volleyball team. And, you know, I was crushed. I absolutely crushed. I mean, that was my dream. It was everything that I had uh, wanted to do and look forward to. And instead of, you know, just saying, okay, I'm going to fight and battle and, um, you know, try to make the 2000 Olympic volleyball team, I decided to just kind of switch gears and go back to doing something I really loved and enjoyed and I wanted to find, you know, get, find my heart again and my passion. Um, and I just said, I'm going to start playing basketball again. And amazing that I was able to get a USA Jones Cup tryout. Um, and it's funny how coaches really shaped your life. So if I would have been cut from that tryout, you know, who knows what would have happened (laughs) from there and where I would have gone. But luckily, um, the great Gary Blair, and who's at uh, Texas A&M right now, and Jane Albright, who is now retired, but they decided after watching me, I was still, you know, a little raw. I hadn't played basketball in a year and a half, but they decided to keep me on the team. And um, because of my great rebounding ability and instincts and, um, you know, we went and won the gold medal in Taiwan on the Jones Cup that year. So that kind of sparked my excitement and energy in playing basketball again and really got me into the USA basketball system. So I was really fortunate to have that. And then crazy to think four years later, I um, made the USA Olympic team and I was able to go to Sydney, Australia and win the gold with that amazing group of young ladies and coaches. Isn't that crazy, though? I mean, you just told me an amazing story. And, and and how heartbroken you were to be the last cut for the Olympic volleyball team. And it came down to choices, right? I mean, you had a choice to what to do next. You could fight and and and, and try out again at some point, but you decided to take another path. And you ended up an Olympian anyway in another sport. <laughs> I mean, how crazy is that? Do you Do you think about that? quite a bit yeah I mean I know it's it's wild I mean there are not many people that do that and uh, or even have the opportunity so a lot of it is choices and Mm -hmm. everyone says you know one one door closes another one opens and for me I mean this was definitely a path that I was meant to take Um, I loved my experience in volleyball through UCLA and then also the national team Uh, and then my my basketball experience through the ABL and getting to play on the USA team 
and through that national team for four years and the people I've met, I mean, priceless stuff that I was able to experience. So um, I wouldn't have changed any of it. Uh, just it's pretty incredible. I've got to have someone write me a book. And <laughs> That's right. You know, as I get older, I've got to sit down and start writing this stuff down because just the journey alone uh, is something that's pretty amazing. Well, I'm going to give you a little advice on that. And you might already be doing it, Natalie, but if you can every single day, just write something, just jot down something, keep a pad and a, a pen or pencil next to your, your bed. And, and, and and I guarantee you things will pop in your head might be five minutes. Um, that five minutes might turn into 15, 20 and, you know, you're an athlete, so condition yourself to do it as often as possible. And, and believe it or not, you can have a book already, and, and then you find those people who can help you put together. I'm sure you already know that, but I can't wait to read it when it's done. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been pretty cool. So let's let's uh, let's get into your WNBA career. Tell me how that experience was on draft day. Well, I was really excited to be coming back home to Utah. You know, I played in Portland for the last two and a half years through the ABL, and unfortunately that league did not survive, but uh, the chance to get to come home and be around my family and friends and, you know, my high school teammates and coaches, I mean, it's just, it was uh, really a dream come true to get to play here for the Utah Stars. That's awesome. Um, You know, it's been, I mean, it's no secret that there's there's a lot of inequality in, in sports. Uh, and when we talk about at every level, maybe almost. Um, and I know that as a WNBA player, trying to make a living, at, especially when you play, I don't know if it's any better now. You, could, you probably have a better handle on that than I do. But, um, you know, we saw it a lot uh, on the with the – Olympic soccer team um, and the stance they took. Uh, but as you were playing in WNBA, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it was kind of a year-round sport because when you weren't playing in the WNBA, there were a lot of girls that would go overseas and play as well, uh, you know, just to kind of supplement, uh, you know, to make money. And yes. mm-hmm. how was that experience for you and maybe some of the other girls you played with? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky in the fact that being, um, you know, one of the top players in the WNBA at the time, um, you know, I had one of the higher salaries, which uh, in regards to equality was about the average NBA player's game fee for, you know, <laughs> one one month. Yeah, I hear you. So it's that's super hard to deal with because, I mean, my dad, you know, my dad played in the NBA for Maybe. nine years. Yeah. And, and to listen to him still get an NBA pension for 20 years, right. he got that. And the WNBA players don't have anything. I mean, that would be amazing if we got uh, a pension for 20 years. That would have been very helpful. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, it is unfortunate. I just hope that times change. I know that it has this year with the collective bargaining agreement that the WNBA kind of put together. And I know they're getting paid more, which is great, but it's still nowhere close, not even anywhere close to what NBA players get. And um, and it doesn't have to be up to their level, but 
just to be able to have, um, you know, make a living and not have to play overseas. That is the goal for those young women. And then to also be able to, you know, gather up a savings for their future, because you know, as well as I do, that, you know, you can only play at that high of a level for so many years. And so then, you know, what do you fall back on? That's right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back and talk to the great Natalie Williams. We'll be right back on Thorough Talk. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Thorough Talk. We have uh, just been talking to Natalie Williams, who is one of the greatest athletes that I've ever been around. And I get to see Natalie away from basketball quite a bit. I, I, I know that she's used her platform in a lot of different ways. But Natalie, I want to talk to you now about uh, post-basketball because – um, I, I have a feeling we have this kind of a kindred spirit because of how we decided to to use what we've learned in basketball and, and hopefully help others with an opportunity, and not even just an opportunity to play sports, but to learn from sports and apply that to whatever they decide to do in their lives. So tell me about your your basketball program and what you've been doing for the last few years for these young women. Yeah, well, thank you for allowing me to talk about it. Um, I I started coaching um, the last two years that I was playing in the WNBA, and I started coaching and helping out at Skyline High School um, and was able to coach with Skyline for, uh, I think it was about four years, and in those four years helped them get to two state championships. Absolutely loved it and knew that that was my next calling to give back to the community here in Salt Lake City and, and in Utah. Um, I love coaching. I Just knowing that I could, literally, I tell people all the time, coach in my sleep. <laughs> so, And it was what I meant to do. And then, you know, having three daughters, that was the right avenue. I wanted them to get in the game and just learn so many things from the the great things that sports gives you in learning how to handle adversity and learning how to handle conflict and dealing with it and um, how to work hard. So 
Um, I run the Natalie Williams Basketball Academy, and we have ages or grades, third grade, girls and boys, uh, through high school elite. Our boys only go through eighth grade right now, but I'm working to build that up now that I've got a really great young man who's helping me out. But um, just absolutely love it and really proud to be one of the top programs in the West, uh, which college coaches have told me, and coming from college coaches, uh, been able to place over 50 kids, uh, 50, 60 kids in the last 10 years. And in the last two years, proud that all of my kids have been placed from junior college to Division One, uh, 11 last year and 11 this year again. So uh, I just take a lot of pride in it and um, really help giving back and helping these young women have the opportunity that I had. Well, um, I, I'm, I can profess that I know um, a, a bunch of players that have gone through your program and even some recently, uh, I, I know that uh, the Lichty family is a, is a really good, uh, they're really good friends of mine. And uh, their daughter, Sierra and JC, I know went through your program. And, yes. and they rave about you. And, and so thank you for what you're doing for these girls and young men. Um, but I want to get into now, because I, you know, I don't know what kind of what kind of kids you were like. Right, so I know that you're in mother. You're you're a mother now, so yes. <laughs> full time. <laughs> that's right, full time mom. So uh, talk to us about motherhood and the rewards, and and compare it to kind of how you were as a kid. Were you stubborn? Were you uh, always a kind of a hard worker? And and how's that kind of teach you uh, how to get through motherhood? Yeah, I mean, dang, parenting is hard. (laughs) I'm sure you know that, but wow. Um, You know, my twins are almost 20 now, if you can believe that. The twins that I adopted back when they were in 2000 when they were two months old. And um, Miss Sydney, you know, she played at Alta. She was, her senior year, she was um, leading scorer. She led the team in scoring and blocks and steals, which I'm super proud of her because she's, not really a basketball player. She's just a great athlete and has learned well. But she has been modeling. Uh, she went and modeled in awesome. South Africa uh, early in this year. And uh, so now just helping her navigate uh, grown-uphood. Yes. And learning how to be a grown-up is always oh. challenging. And then I have a 13-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old daughter. And uh, both of them are so much like me. Um, in what way? And in well, Ayla is um, loves to read. Absolutely loves to read. And I was an avid reader growing up. Um, just would spend hours being, you know, growing up an only child. Just spend hours reading. And she's exactly like that. She loves pets. Um, hard worker, determined. Nation. The ten-year-old is uh, not as much as an avid reader. Uh, more so, social butterfly. And I was that way when around my friends as well kind of took class clown role and Mm -hmm. wanted to make others laugh and make others happy and and so nation's more like that and just um super outgoing so it's fun to see different parts of me in them and but i'm glad that both of them are great athletes and it's really been fun to coach them um so i've enjoyed that a lot that's awesome so natalie you uh 
You walk into an arena and there's 10,000 plus people in there and there's a big stage in the middle of it and uh, they're full of different types of people, young, older, uh, athletes, aspiring business people. And you've got a couple of minutes to deliver them a solid message. They all want to succeed. They know they know who you are. They know your story. Um, they know the, the difficult times. Um, what do you tell them? What do you leave them with? Uh, I think the biggest thing I would say is, one, enjoy the journey. That's our motto in our club program. Enjoy the journey because life, that is exactly what it is. Um, just you're going to have hard times. You're going to have great times. You know, don't get too low over the lows and don't get too high on the highs. And um, really be a part of your community. Be a part of your family um, because that's what's meant. That, that making other people happy and making other people feel good is what matters. Yeah. You know, um, you could change someone's life every single day just by giving them a compliment or, mm-hmm. you know, saying something positive, smiling at them, which is hard now with masks, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> but, um, that, that to me is what's so important is just making other people around you feel special and feel good because in turn that makes you feel better. Um, and just do the best you can. You, that's all you can ask. I mean, my mother who raised me a single parent, um, I did not meet my dad till I was 16 and, uh, her biggest thing to me that really helped me through whether it was a tough tryout or times when I was anxious, uh, you know, competitions or anything was just all they can ask is that you do your best. And that, you know, and that's you do your best. You've given everything you've got. Um, you've got to be happy and satisfied with that. So, you know, that's really what I would tell people. And um, we're living in a very interesting time right now <laughs> in many ways. So um, that's definitely what I would say is just, appreciate everything you have around you and make others around you feel special and loved and you know we'll get through everything together that's amazing and and so so very true and you brought it up i want to ask you one how have you been coping uh with the pandemic with covid19 i know it's it's different for everybody but at the same time um what are your feelings on you know we've heard news on the NBA trying to salvage the season or the playoffs here in the next, you know, month or so. Um, but you know, it's, it's, of course we need one of the top leagues to get started, but any feelings on the WNBA and what can possibly happen there? Well, I, I, you know, it has been hard. It's it's hard for everyone just navigating what is the right thing to do. Nobody knows, right? Yeah. This is uh, something that we're all experiencing together, and it's we can't look back really on anything other than the, you know, what was the 1918 pandemic, but times are so much different, and uh, people are around each other, you know, traveling through states and countries. So um, in regards to the NBA and the WNBA, 
I agree that I they could restart or start up, but in an isolated setting where they're all kind of quarantined. I mean, I had suggested having the WNBA play at the MGM. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12 teams, their close family, you know, the people they need, their coaches, uh, all quarantined in one arena and one uh, section and just playing on the court and scheduling games all day long and having the opportunity for fans to, you know, pay-per-view a small amount or um, a season fee to watch. And I just think that would be great not only for them, but for us fans who, you know, want to want to watch something yeah. <laughs> and love love basketball, whether it's NBA or WNBA. So I think it can happen. It's, it's a scary undertaking, but we have to find our way through the murk and get back to some sort of new normal, and it's definitely going to be new. It won't be the same forever. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Uh, Natalie, you're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you so much for, for coming on to my show. And um, listen, I can't wait for that book. I'm telling you right now. Um, Thank you. You need to, you need to really consider getting that done. And because uh, I'm, I and I say that to you because I'm doing the same thing. And I knew that there was a point I had to stop. I had to kind of, you know, there was a story to tell. And so. Um, you know, I'm reading everybody else's story. So, you know, you've got an incredible one. And uh, I hope that you you find a way to to get that in book form. And thank you so much. I can't wait to to see you in action again with uh, with your teams. And good luck to you. And thanks so, so much for coming on. Well, thank you, Cyril. I appreciate it. And I will definitely be reading your book as well. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Natalie. You're awesome. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us on this episode of Thorough Talk with the great Natalie Williams. And uh, we look forward to next week and uh, for our next guest. I'm going to give you a little bit of a clue who that's going to be. Uh, I sat down with my dad. The first time I'd ever watched a basketball game, I sat down with him and I saw this amazing athlete. Didn't know much about basketball then, but I saw a guy in some short shorts and a big old fro. And I'm going to leave it there. And we'll we'll talk to you next week.